Hello, Heron. Hi, Tom. Ah, so how's the week treated you? Well, it's been uh, it's been an interesting week. <laughs> very good, very yeah. good. Well, do you have some topics, or do you want to talk about your interesting week, or uh, whatever way you want to take this thing? Now, you said you had a bunch of stuff you already had online, so um, yeah, let's go with whatever you got. Okay. Well, um, I'd like to start by uh, wow, I. I I don't know whether it was Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday, actually, that I found that you talked to Chris Abbott. Yeah. Um, and did you know who Chris Abbott was prior to organizing your conversation? I mean, he must have introduced himself to you. By, yeah. yeah, he told me who he was. He, he's your co-host. He is. He yeah. is. And no, I really enjoyed your conversation with him. I, I, I encourage too. you to, to, yeah. to talk more. Well, so, uh, yeah, we probably will. I had a good time. And also, Gerald de Jong, I guess there's some correspondence that I saw, and there must have been some correspondence that I didn't see, because uh, I kind of got fractured correspondence between you both. Do you think you'll talk to Gerald sometime in the near future? Well, it's really sort of up to him. He introduced himself. I don't remember. The thing is, you know, over the last couple of months, apparently my notoriety is growing. <laughs> Infamy. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden I'm getting contacts from all sorts of people, and I don't have any idea who a lot of them are. Oh, very good. So, you know, I'm just open to whoever shows up, but it's pretty much up to them. Very good. Well, I mean, this was originally the plan with regards to this whole thing, was the, oh, yeah. the, the group of folk that I knew that may be sympathetic to some of the stuff that you did, kind of coming along and introducing themselves to you as well. So, yeah, no, I'm, it's I'm all pretty... part of the, yeah, is us, we're all agents of evolution here, and the more every, you know, we know one another and talk, the better, you know, so yeah, this is great. Very good, very good. And I remember the name, but I have no idea what we talked about now. I've talked to a lot of people in the last week, so. Yes, yes, you have, yes, you have. Now, Gerald and I have known each other for about five years, and the interesting thing with Gerald is when we first started corresponding, I don't think he really liked me. It was one of those strange things where I think he, I don't know the whole circumstances, but I'll give you the, the background story. He had started a project called Darwin at Home, and he talked to um, mutual friend Bruce Damer, and Bruce Damer had then kind of picked up this project and taken it in a completely different direction. I think he went to the University of Southern California and did some things there, and I was still in the UK at the time, but Bruce contacted me and said, oh, would you be interested in taking over this biota.org thing uh, as, as the editor? And I kind of picked up those duties. But Gerald's Darwin at Home project then evolved into, I don't know, a collaboration of probably 25 people. And really all Gerald wanted to do was kind of continue his own development. But the project by this point had been, I don't necessarily want to say hijacked, but had been kind of taken over by a variety of different folk. And my natural position in these circumstances is to act, I guess, as some kind of adjudicator or documenter. So he saw me very much, I guess, as the person that had taken over this project that was originally his and all this kind of stuff. Well, how did anybody take over his project? I don't get it. They can do whatever the hell they want, and that doesn't prevent him from doing anything. It was a a curious circumstance, and clearly there was a degree of of baggage or what have you. And initially... uh, the correspondence that I had with Gerald for probably maybe two or three months was quite heated. And then, at some stage, he realized that I wasn't evil. I mean, people do occasionally come to that point. And uh, we then kind of struck up an early friendship, which has really 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very, quite close to, to Gerald. And our mutual wives are fans of the other as well, which is yeah. kind of curious because my wife really likes Gerald's stuff and uh, and Gerald's wife wears a Noble Ape t-shirt to bed. <laughs> so, Uh-oh. <laughs> no wonder anyway, he doesn't like you. <laughs> well, he didn't in the past, but now he does. So, so that kind of gives the mutual... The only thing was that his wife and daughter were in Las Vegas last year, and the anticipation was that we would get together and, uh, you know, show them Las Vegas. And they hated it so much. They arrived here and... I think within about six hours they had rented a car and were heading towards California. Yeah, I can. I hate. I hate Las Vegas too. I. I have nothing but <laughs> loathing for that town. Yeah. Well, I, I. I think for us it was kind of because we were hoping to show them the nicer parts of Las Vegas. I mean, there are a few. We've we've really created a little embassy here. Oh, okay. Well, uh, if, yeah. Then you. Yeah. If I'd known you, maybe I wouldn't yeah. hate Las Vegas. Yeah. And I think the thing about Las Vegas is it's you know it's. Isn't it a city that lives on the smashed dreams of moron homo sapiens? Mm, Yeah, I'm sympathetic to that. uh, That doesn't necessarily tar all of us, though. No, no, of course not. It's just that there's a certain, uh, certain zeitgeist that sort of fills the city. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about the Strip. I'm talking about the people off the Strip, because yeah. I, I never was even on the Strip. I'm but sure I'm very sympathetic to great. You know, yeah. If you got money, that's a fun place to go, but it's just the people who work at the gas stations and when, all when the other When were you last things. in Las Vegas, Harry? Oh, this was 30 years ago. Okay. so yeah, it's, it may very well have changed since then. It's gone no through idea. maybe five generations yeah. since then in terms sure. of in terms of gas station employees, I would imagine. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Yeah, my idea is was formed 30 years ago, and I've seen no reason to update it, but I haven't been there. So very good. Very good. Well, I think the, the thing that struck me about Gerald's wife's uh, immediate disappearance was that we were actually really looking forward to having some, like, I don't know. I mean, Gerald lives in the Netherlands. He's from Canada originally, but he has a very... I don't know, educationally utopian or maybe, I don't know, he has this kind of utopian persona and his children go to um, some kind of uh, elite school where they speak five languages oh, cool. and all this kind of stuff and, right. and, and play music. In fact, the son and his girlfriend's music have appeared on a Biota Live. They did a version, do you know Black Hole Sun? Do you know that song? What, by Soundgarden, it's called Black Hole Sun. No. Look it up and put it at the end of this podcast. In fact, I'll give I'll give you the Send link. Send me the file. Yeah, I'll give you the link to his daughter. Um, no, his son and his son's girlfriend. Is there an MP3 that you? Can oh yes, I've got an MP3. Just the MP3 in Skype. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the link because okay. I've got it. It's through the internet. And I don't archive. promise that I will put it at the end of this. <laughs> don't uh, worry about. I may. You know. Don't worry about. Karen. I'm Unless I put so much other shit. I actually I put, intentionally put stuff in there that I don't like. In fact. Recently, I put the the one piece of music that I have hated the most in the whole world. I put it in there. Uh-huh. Just because that there aren't that many pieces of music that I actually hate that what much. What music was it? Huh? Piece of music was it? Oh well, I'm not going to tell. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're like that, are we? Okay. Very good. Very good. So I have a number of topics here, um, and let me just look. I'll start with this one because it's it's next on my list after Gerald Dion and Chris Abbott. Have well, you, Gerald sounds interesting. From everything you've told me, I think he and I are going to have fun. The thing about Gerald that 
is that he is he's um I don't want to I don't want to use the term bruised idealist, but he really is a bit like that. So he has um he has he this there's fundamentally a human component to him, but he will come off in particular conversations as being very uh heavily opinionated yeah. in an anti human direction. Yeah, yeah, he's an arrogant asshole probably. Oh very much so. Yeah, okay. And so am yeah. I, and I'm well aware of uh, that, but I know how much humility underlies my arrogance. Yes. <laughs> Most people but don't. I, they just see my arrogance. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll have a lot of fun with Gerald, no, and that's why I'm kind of yeah. pushing the two of you together. Yeah, the reason right. that he contacted me actually was because he feels a lot of the narrative, which wasn't even in my notes, but a lot of the narrative that we uh talk about in terms of um, the fraction of 1% getting it and all this mm. kind of stuff. Yeah. He's, well, you see, I mean, this is interesting because it, it forced me, there are a number of points in our conversation where I haven't really disagreed with you as heavily as I probably would in other circumstances. And similarly, I feel you probably do the same thing with me. And the thing that strikes me about the fraction of 1% that get it from the discussions that we have is that I I'm on two extremes. On one side, I think that there's probably a far larger percentage, which is what I say in our discussions. And in the same point, I also have never really found anyone. (laughs) I got it. Yeah. Yeah. That you think gets it. (laughs) Well, they don't get, they don't get it. I mean, if it is, it is is something to get. So I guess this is, this is the interesting, this is the interesting discussion is that you, Acknowledge a larger percentage on one side than me, and also a far smaller well, percentage. Well, I also admit that this is just a guess. I haven't got a clue. I'm just yeah. I make these numbers up. I don't yeah. know. So I guess the nature of Gerald's conversation with me via email was just what it is, and I thought oh, you would God. be better yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, suited yeah. to define it than oh, I would. Yeah, yeah. And moreover, I thought this was a conversation ideally suited for you and Gerald, as opposed to one that I could get yeah. involved with. So. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good to hear then, because. Yeah. Uh, I think I only remember. Well, you know, when he and I talk, it's going to be he and I talking. I guess it's going to be whatever. You could take it in any. In fact, that was the thing that I thoroughly enjoyed about your conversation with Chris is that you took it in a completely different direction than I imagined. Well, of course, it depends on who I'm talking to. Hmm. I never. I don't. I hate. You know, people want me to start something. Want me to lecture to the. I hate that. (laughs) You know, that's just the most boring thing in the world. It's much more fun. Uh, for me to just sort of let them lead the way, and then it sort of takes its own life. Mm-hmm. Mm. So next on my next on my list of possible topics was this uh, this rather curious circumstance that's come out of the situation in Arizona. I think the woman's name is Gifford. <laughs> we can't you may, avoid that, huh? <laughs> you may know this. You may you're laughing because you may already know what I'm about to say. So the the shooter apparently, according to some media sources followed a fellow who was, in some regard, the blueprint of you, Heron. In terms of question, you may not have known this. You may, no, may, no you may I don't know anything about this. Okay. I, mean, I haven't he, paid any attention at all. He had a fellow who he followed, um, whose surname I think was Miller, who, whose um, premise was that basically the language that we used needed to be reconstructed minute, in wait order... Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking about the guy who shot the people in Arizona mm-hmm. uh, had met some... No, 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 no. Yeah. He was he he had um, he had a YouTube video and he had a series of apparently online references. I've seen the YouTube video, oh. 
And the fellow who, if you, if you give me a second here, I'll actually give the guy's name because yeah, I need to start a, yeah, Or give me a link. This sounds fat. Anyway, yeah, keep going. This is okay, let me Jared Loftner's grammar obsession explained. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> this is what happens when you start thinking like I do. Oh, no. I'm surprised the FBI hasn't been calling you, Karen, but it's only a matter of time because you're advocating terrorism. Let me just start. Okay. So this fellow... Um, Oh, do they not have the... Ah, yes. The fellow he followed was uh, David Wynn Miller, who um, who has a variety of views associated with language, but basically wants to... Has he written insult- some books? I mean, is he some... Ling- who is this guy that he was following? <laughs> David Wynn Miller is a former machinist who became obsessed with language uh, <laughs> and has... Has a very interesting view associated with syntax and the way oh, the government. I can't is wait to read this. I love it when weirdos come. I'm, well, I'm a weirdo who came. <laughs> That's to exactly it. my point. Yeah, right? Yeah, so I anyway. love it. I lo- can't wait to see what they they, they they obviously have some small part of the truth, and they're crazy. <laughs> anyway, so um, what was going on? In, I'm reading. Let me just quote who I'm reading from Mother Jones. That's always a good start. What was going on in Jared uh, Loftner's mind? Based on his online rants, the man who attempted, who allegedly attempted, gosh, don't you love allegedly? Yeah, yeah, attempted yeah. a thirty-one round clip into Gabriel Giffords and dozens of bystanders Saturday was preoccupied with theories on massive government fraud. Many of his seemingly random statements on grammar, the ratifications, the new currency, and more echoed teachings of the sovereign citizen movement, blah, 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 blah. So it goes on to talk about one popular theorist, David Wynn Miller, who's the fellow who he references quite heavily. Now, this is the guy who used to be the machinist who is now an online linguist that has his own, uh, ironically, simplification of the English language in order to avoid government interference. Oh, I can't wait. Wait, what's I want to? Has he got a? I, I yes, he does. He has a website. He has a, a website. So, yes, Dave, uh, the he uses colons in his syntax, which is what's even more. And uh, he calls himself Judge. And you'll see very much so that his idea is basically that he... he okay, it's the well, whole he starts right off. He's a patriot. Everything's red, white, and blue in caps, and he's a patriot, and he's staring into the camera with an ego that can't be defeated. <laughs> yeah. Everything is... No, not everything is in caps. Yeah, I don't even want to read it. That's too bad. <laughs> well, I probably... Well, I probably will look. He, he, you will have yeah, a look, Darren. Come on, who are you yeah, kidding? No, you're right. Because you he, my sense is you don't get this crazy unless you've gotten a small part of the truth. That's a very interesting. Uh, that's a very interesting point because I think the yes, it is. It is very curious. I mean, the whole circumstance is rather curious because, in general, my hatred of politicians is such that. It was interesting, even prior to this, I was playing a thought experiment associated with the circumstances with Saddam Hussein. Because that is a very interesting example of um, what is really needed for a kind of kangaroo court in order to convict someone of crimes which are smaller relatively than the occupying force and the leaders of the occupying force. That are. So it is, it is one of these curious things that, um, and, you know, it's all war crimes. I mean, let's be clear here. 
But well, it yeah, is Bush like, should be should be tried as a war criminal. I don't see well, I think any, the whole, you know. And Obama and everyone oh, else. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, yeah, not yeah. just Bush. No, yeah. Bush is actually probably the least culpable. Well, <laughs> Cheney and Rumsfeld and all those other guys. Yeah. Are, yeah. So, no, I think the whole thing is very curious. And certainly the only, I mean, the issue with Loeffler's approach is that he looks like the lone nut. But what is particularly curious is if you read, um, well, if, if you're familiar with the kind of cycles that these things go in and you read some of David Wynn Miller's stuff, cumulatively, it still doesn't merit the actions that he did. Oh, so, of course not. It's irrelevant. Yeah, There's yeah. completely separate issues. Yeah. No, there, but this particular fantasy is one I'm familiar with. These people go into the, the stuff about the so-called real meaning of words and how in language is manipulated because the masters know the real meanings of these words and they're using them and they've changed the meaning. You well, know. stuff that he talks about associated with linguistic programming is sympathetic to some of the stuff that you talk about. Well, Aaron. I'll have to check him out. How much do I have? This, this all caps shit is really <laughs> tough to get through. Yes, well, the old cats and the colons and the squeakly things, and yeah. actually, well, that's I think similar to me too, though. I mean, he's inventing his own form, but it's just <laughs> his form is unreadable, though. Yeah, well, yes, I think it. I yeah, my reading of it is that you're supposed to read it slowly so you understand. Uh, that, well, that, that that's he's well, if that's his aim, he's done a great job, and I can't. You know, you're yeah. you're right. I can't argue with that. Yeah. Um, so his notion is that, um, and you find this, I think you had this conversation with a fellow on uh, on TeamSpeak about the whole notion that words have judicial meaning. And that's a similar, that's a similar perspective in some Well, no, sense. I don't think they do. No, that's no, 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 he, he advocates Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a standard part of, of the, it's interesting because it, it for some reason, it gets into the, the New World Order people and the yes. super patriots because there's somebody out there manipulating the language. But isn't that part of the zeitgeist movement as well? I've been reading... The oh, interesting no. thing is that you... you uh, This week, I um, I was listening to your conversation with Mel, which we'll talk about later because I have other points on that. Yeah. And she made reference to the zeitgeist movement, and I realized that I had only precursorily scanned the Wikipedia entry, and then when I read it, I realized that my wife had been given a DVD from a co-worker at her oh, previous job, but, which yeah. was actually the zeitgeist movie. Right. Yeah. And um, I've met other people, for example, in the, in the line at the local subway, there's a fellow who's... Uh, who's trying to convert everyone in the queue progressively <laughs> to <laughs> philosophy. And, um, yeah. So uh, he, yeah, he also has the car parked outside with 9-11 was an inside job oh, all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess my sense with regards to the Zeitgeist movement is that I've been very sympathetic to it in large part through your introduction. Yeah. Listen, let me tell you right away, I mean, uh, the reason I like the Zeitgeist movement is because only about 10 or 20% of the people there, or I should say only 80 or 90% of the people there are morons and idiots hmm. uh, so, because most places i go it's uh 99 so hmm. there's a 10 times increase in actually interesting people within that section still 90 percent hmm. of them are basically uh, of no interest to me hmm. so my understanding is that gerald de Jong has a netherlands equivalent of a drinking game in these circumstances and whenever you say that he does the Netherlands equivalent of the drinking game. Whenever I say what? <laughs> Whenever you make a quote associated with how tiny the percentage of... Uh, oh, 
So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the Neville well, was see, the that explains so much because we can get beyond. I mean, so much of most conversation seems to me just pointless. It's, mm. it's talking about what's wrong with the fucking caterpillar, and mm. I don't care about that anymore. I want mm. to get on to talking about how are we going to create a new world. Well, I guess the interesting thing is now the whole notion of the kind of exploration that you were doing with language, and clearly you're separate from this Miller fellow, yeah. but the whole notion of even going through an exploration associated with the impact of language now seems to be mapping very heavily onto mental illness and terrorism <laughs> in the popular media. Which sure, I well, find that sounds reasonable, of course. That's a perfectly good way to, to label it. You know, yes. That makes it far more interesting and exciting. Certainly. I, yeah, it, it really pushes you into the vanguard that you always wanted to be, the place right. that you always Maybe wanted to be. Maybe they'll be wanting to interview me on Nightline any day now. Yeah, well, this, this Miller fellow is. I mean, he's been basically, I've seen uh, clips of him. I mean, I don't watch television, but I've, I've, through YouTube, I've seen... Uh, oh, so that's what I'll do a search for him there and see, because it'd be a lot easier. I can get a much better sense of him. Of well, I've already got a pretty good sense, and I haven't <laughs> even looked at it. But, yeah. but I he's could be wrong. You know. yeah, I think his linguistics may be good. I think he, his politics and his... He hasn't been able to draw a clear line between those. And may, and he chooses not to, apparently. The, the stuff that is available of him online in terms of YouTube and video interview is considerably more sympathetic than the, his website. Okay, yeah. His, well, website, his website is pretty offensive. Like I said, just he, looking at it, all that red, white, and blue is about to gag. His website seems to be more um, uh, more about analytics than judge? it is about his own. Is, is he a, what is no, a judge? That, how his, does he get that, away with that? I wonder how he explains that linguistically. Well, <laughs> I, think, I think it's more about shock value initially. I mean, I think what he's trying to do here is, well, highly refined and something that he's been working on clearly for 20 years. But yeah. his stuff on YouTube, you actually he doesn't make eye contact with the camera very often, and you yeah. can tell that he... We get uh, a better sense of who he is, I would think. This is just a really cultivated document we're looking <laughs> at here. This is, this is his ideal image of himself. Well, yes, I think this is the this is the document that uh, enables people to ascribe mental illness yeah. and terrorism to. Or uh, any... that he's the savior. They'll look. They take one look at those eyes, and they're hooked. Yeah, possibly, <laughs> you know? possibly. Who well, knows? Well, I think there. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that are. This almost has become. You know, it's funny. This is almost becoming a category now, in my mind. I hadn't actually seen this until just now, but this this. There's a, a, another group that's intimately uh, committed to uh, the idea that the law is, <laughs> is important, <laughs> you know, mm. that, well, no, that the, the original meanings of natural law and common law and what the words really mean, uh, you know, and, and, the, and it's all part of the, the whole extreme right-wing nationalistic, uh, let, capitalistic let me, thing. Let me read point two to you because my eyes have been drawn to this. For the educational corrections of these modifying communications are within these corrections claims against the fictional adverb-verb usage with an operational method of a f fictional modification language, 8,500 years of the syntax modification with every language. <laughs> so No, I, yeah, I just saw that. No, see, that's perfect. Th that may mean, it probably does mean something to him. Yes. But uh, it's totally 
anyone who thinks that means anything is an idiot and is being hypnotized. That's why I'm saying this whole thing looks like a, a document designed to hypnotize a certain kind of person. And, and that says absolutely nothing. Now, he and I could sit down and talk for two hours on this one thing and, and get down to what all that stuff means. I'll bet he does have meaning with it. With it. I mean, this yes, I think you need to. There are other sections that are associated with language programming and what it all seems to dissolve to. Maybe not on this page. I think it's changed since I last saw it. But um, at the there was like you you basically add up sections and you do there's various mathematics that you have to do in order uh-huh. to understand the language as well. But uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, <laughs> I don't even know what one calls it, kind of guerrilla linguistics or politicized hyperlinguistics or something. Now, well, it's good. I'm glad to see that people are at least talking about language. You know, that's I mean, the, the fact that that's a subject itself <laughs> is uh, is an amazing step forward for this culture. Mm. If mm. It, if anybody succeeds in wondering, even being just being pausing for a moment to wonder how much language influences their own thinking, uh, I would say that's radical. Well, it's not just that. It's the idea that language affects the thinking of everyone, that it is, in fact, a means of controlling a vast number of people and also this whole notion of I am not the language, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, this has deep uh, ramifications, really. It really does. Absolutely. Hmm. So I thought it was very interesting as these reports came out that... Uh, this fellow's grammar and his association with David Wynne Miller, in fact, was something that became a news story in and of itself. And you'll find maybe between, well, when I started looking, there were about 150 articles, including some quite interesting analysis of David Wynne Miller's work. Um, the precursory analysis was just that anyone who read it would clearly be mentally ill or not, <laughs> uh, or both, or at least a terrorist. And I thought, yes, so I thought, um, so I thought, no, this is exactly down your alley, and maybe this is the direction that you need to cultivate. Well, how did you, well, when you, you must have, when I, I mean, literally within about a half a second of looking at this page, I'd already made up my mind. Mm. Before I, I read a single word, mm. you know, all caps, red, white, and blue, some guy staring intently at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right away, I'm suspicious as hell. <laughs> the other interesting thing, he, he has this interesting, uh, one of the things on YouTube, I've, I've done a lot of background research because I thought this would be a topic that would interest you if you hadn't already heard about it. He talks a lot about the connections between the Postal Service and some maritime group that is controlling everything in the world. And it is very really? curious. He, yeah, how the, Because, I mean, I think the U.S. Postal Service in a very particular way, but if, if 9-11 had I something... I love the Post Office. I've always been amazed at how well they deliver. I always get everything, even before I expect it. Mm. I've been. I've never had a bad experience with a post office. Mm. Never. Nothing but mm. good experience. Mm. So I, I have a mixed view with regards to the U.S. Postal Service, mainly because since September 11th, this is the my view of the Postal Service's yeah. connection to September 11th. Um, mainly because I have to send things out of this country. My experience with the post office is, firstly, they privatized a large portion of the 
um, actually getting things out of this country and then made it extremely expensive to get normal things outside of the country. And also, I think that their, their constant reaction to whatever is going on, for example, um, you know, the, the current postal restrictions associated with inkjet cartridges sent from Yemen and all this nonsense. I mean, if you have to get stuff out of this country, you really have to pay a premium which ultimately the U.S. Postal Service, I think, it, it's not necessarily mandated for it. And I also, I mean, of the postal services I've known, the U.S. Postal Service is kind of mid-range with kind of Malaysia, maybe slightly below it, and the U.K. maybe slightly above it. But the the issue that I have is just paying airmail rates to get anything out of this country. It seems ridiculous to me that I can't put something on a ship. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like I say, I... See, yeah, I don't have anything to do with that. You know, so yeah. it's not it's not on my. I I mail things to people once in a while, and and but I mean, actually, I hardly ever use. What I can't imagine. Yeah, why? Why would I guess if you're in business, that makes a big difference. I guess. Well, most businesses now use uh, UPS or FedEx because the problems associated with the postal service can get relatively yeah. crushed. Yeah. Okay, and that makes think, sense. Yeah, but that's more expensive. Yeah. Well, for some things it is, for other things it isn't. But it is rather curious. I mean, my use of the postal service is well, what I do, and I've, I've told you this in the postal that I haven't. I I assembled a box for you, Heron, of stuff from my library, and then I realised that they were all kind of joke gifts in inverted commas. They were all like books that I really disliked or just crazy <laughs> books or things like that. And I thought Heron may actually be offended if I send him. <laughs> Duplicate <laughs> histories of Hitler's youth, and you know, so I, 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 I'm I, never offended by anybody who gives me anything. I may be curious about their <laughs> motives, but yeah, that was know. my concern that this could actually spin out into multiple podcasts worth of uh, analysis of books. For example, um, Wozniak's biography, Steve Wozniak's biography, is the worst the worst book I've ever finished. <laughs> and it was so bad that when I gave it to someone, they gave it back to me in disgust. <laughs> I can't even give this book away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't read it anyway. I don't really give a shit about Steve Wozniak. Exactly. So that was my feeling. That was actually my feeling. My feeling was that the books that I would send you, you probably wouldn't read. Yeah, probably so, not. I've already got 30 books sitting next to my bed right now. And uh, a list, yeah. uh, you know, in, of, you know, of 100 others. <laughs> that I should read. You know? It's an interesting problem, actually. I've started, uh, I'm starting to read books in parallel because I find that my moods are such that I will thoroughly enjoy some books at some stages and other books at other stages, but it's better that I have... Well, maybe multiple. if you separate it by fiction and non-fiction, at least, mm-hmm. that would no, be helpful. No. Do, you read any non- or do you read fiction? I don't read fiction at all. Yeah, okay, neither do I. Well, yeah, yeah right. No, I, I, I very occasionally read things that fit into fiction, but typically I don't. Yeah. And it's considered by my mother in particular as almost a mental illness. <laughs> we don't read fiction? Well, but she can't understand. I explained it to her. I, I tried to read. For example, I have, I have a friend who writes science fiction. Yeah. So he sent me one of his books, and within the first four pages, I had a splitting headache. I just thought <laughs> yeah. there is nothing in this that I'm getting yeah. anything from. Yeah. You know, and. Um, well, actually, I, see, I prefer, in fiction, I would rather hear it than read it myself. I'd rather yeah. have a good reader read it to me. 
Mm. Uh, that doesn't work at all for nonfiction. I need to read that for myself. But mm. fiction, I actually prefer another reader. Uh, that's the only. I, I I won't read. I won't read fiction anymore. But mm. I love fiction. But again, that's really the old storytelling. That's where that all goes back to: is sitting around telling stories at night would, before they if, invented TV. If, if fiction, if if most modern fiction were that way, I would read it. The problem is that most modern fiction is what I consider to be heavy-handed psychology text. Well, there's all sorts of shit out there. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, again, like everything else, 99% of it's bullshit that, you know, if it wasn't for the publishing industry, wouldn't get mm. printed because nobody really gives a shit about it. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Anyway, so, um, so I've started reading things in parallel, which is uh, something I'd never done previously because I always thought of books in terms of, things that I needed to devote my time to in a very particular way. But I'm also, I prefer. It yeah, doesn't I'm also, happen often. I usually, yeah. I would rather uh, be absorbed by one book. I'd rather be so much into this book that there's no other book in the universe for me. Mm. But that doesn't happen very often. Mm. Uh, but that's my ideal state. <laughs> Mm. But it, so if I'm reading two books, then it's because neither one of them is good enough to capture me, or at least I'm not that interested in, in either one of them. Mm. So I've I've been reading counterterrorism books recently, which is a very curious genre that I only discovered over because I got Amazon certificates over the of the gift giving period. Yeah, and they <laughs> the really gift giving period. <laughs> they really are. That's for Gerald Deering as well. <laughs> During the gift giving period. Okay. So um, the, the 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 interest. Oh, but look, if you. If you, um, Biota is frequent, Gerald is one of these people, Biota is frequented by militant atheists. Oh, and, good, I love them. <laughs> so you'll enjoy Gerald for that very reason. No. So I oh, have he's a, a militant atheist? He's a case, he can be softened on certain oh, issues. Oh, I can't wait then, this will be fun. I'm totally <laughs> in agreement with a whole bunch of shit, and I love getting into it with committed atheists. Very good, very good. So anyway, so, um, so yes, I have a wide variety of this euphemism. Um, but uh, the thing that strikes me about them is exactly the contrary to that. They are all um, almost crusade-like. There's a, there's a heavy element of we are religiously right and we will crush the infidels. And this is actually talking You're about, about the atheists. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the <laughs> U.S. military counterterrorism strategy books that I'm reading oh. currently. Oh, really? Is oh. that they have very, very either direct in some cases or just a very strange. I mean, my background is from reading... I mean, they're not um, talking about tactics, really. They're talking about... They're talking about being about right. being right and having God yeah. on our side. Yeah. And that's yeah. their idea of how to train people to deal with it? It's all very oh, curious. Jesus. It's quite scary, actually, well, because it really is. does reaffirm a lot of my... Yeah, just how yeah. bad it is. Yeah. Uh, how, fun, yeah. how crazy can they actually be? <laughs> Well, that's the funny thing, because we've had a couple of conversations. In, in parallel to this, I've just finished a book on Algeria through the 1950s and early 1960s, and I find that whole time period really fascinating yeah. because it's the it's the first modern Mujahideen war that I have some contact with. Yeah. And it really is very fascinating, the nature of these, in one part nationalistic, in one part revolutionary, in one part fundamentalist, committed, yeah. you know, notions. And the lines and I, aren't clearly drawn among any of them. They, exactly. Although they're all 
doing it, uh, you know, heavily or more or not mm-hmm. in one area or another, but uh, nobody's really clear about those mm. kinds of distinctions. And I think that's what interests me, certainly from the discussion that we've had previously, I think in our last discussion about what is happening in Afghanistan and these kind of places currently in terms of some some struggle between, I mean, your the way that you described it was, um, I guess, I'm, I'm completely paraphrasing here, but a group that is based on, you know, a, a thousand-year-old ideology that feels that the West will, uh, I don't know, consume them in Absolutely. some regard. Yeah. And I, my view is that actually what occurred in Algeria, and it's kind of continuation through Afghanistan, Chechnya, Afghanistan, what have you, is that they very much, can, and certainly their use of technology and a wide variety of other things, is that they consider themselves, if, if you were to, the, the religious part is interesting because as you've described, there is this very curious and haphazard toing and froing between the religious ideals and then an underlying, which I think is very youthful, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past in terms of the September 11th hijackers uh, and various other circumstances, very youthful and very, um, well, very postmodern in some really quite profound sense. So I think the notion that they are, um, you know, thousand-plus-year-old ideologies is not really my analysis. And certainly reading these kind of crusader literature things, which are now used by the U.S. military, I really feel almost that, you know, even though we've already talked about them not being on our side, but what the U.S. military is doing is very much akin to what was going on a thousand years ago. And it really is very curious in terms of the you know, the analysis associated with both sides. So I don't know. I've thought a lot about our discussion associated with that recently, particularly reading the Algerian stuff. Well, the Algerian Be- stuff was in the 1950s, though, wasn't it? I understand that, but it was really the blueprint of the Mujahideen in terms of what went on in Afghanistan. Yeah, it, what, may, it, well, yeah. it may, in fact, yeah, be, but the, you know, the world... It, well, I mean, any disparity between the two wouldn't be very difficult to explain with Certainly. 50 years of time. You know. Certainly. But I think the the blueprint associated with taking what is fundamentally colonialism, and I think that still is yeah. very much the case with the U.S. forces in both Iraq and Afghanistan. and Colonialism? A, oh, yes. Creating well, a I think you're using an old word for. I don't think it's the same at all. I, I don't think you can call this anything like colonialism. Yeah, you know, I mean. Well, okay. Let's, I mean, let's on, on the surface, I mean, you know, I mean, you can say, yeah, maybe it is, but the world is so different. I mean. Okay, so the, the principle of colonialism associated with uh, introducing as novel concepts the uh, current views. I mean, this. I'm, India is the good example in terms of British colonialism. In fact, large portions of Africa as well. But this notion that you what the the freedoms that we are giving Iraq are <laughs> the, the freedoms that we're this, giving. This is exactly so. I'm making the point. Here. This is the notion of colonialism that what we are taking okay, yeah. there. Well, that's how we're just. No, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's the that's the job they're trying to sell. That's the story they're trying to sell. Exactly. But that was yeah. the whole notion of colonialism as yeah. well. Was that we were, yeah. you know the the UK. Was was taming the savages of India and Africa and what have you, <laughs> yeah. and we're giving them Bringing their freedom. Exactly. Right. That's right. And that's exactly the same notion associated with what is going on. The fact in, that we in happen the... to be making a couple bucks on this, well, don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, 
But also this notion that um, these people are not capable to actually self-identify and create their own freedoms oh, yeah. indigenously. Well, it's clear that people in America and the UK are not capable of managing themselves. So Certainly. I don't yeah. know how we can hold that against anybody. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is that in terms of the in terms of this. I don't know. I guess I'm probably slightly more sympathetic in some regard, or at least explicitly sympathetic. Sympathetic to the people that live in these countries that have to deal with this stuff. Oh, I agree. No, it's not about them. They're the victims of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, what we ought to do is just get the hell out of there and leave them alone. Yeah. You know, put a fence around it. I mean, actually, that whole thing is relatively simple, especially in Afghanistan. You know, it would be a lot cheaper to put a fence around it than to fight those people. Or just put a fence around the U.S. Well, we've I mean, going back that. to <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, this is my point. Let's go back to uh, you know isolationism. If this is what we're calling for, I mean, why well, isolate? I know. I know. Actually, that's why I don't think there's any solution to this. I think it's pointless. to. T- these are all these caterpillar problems that Certainly. I think are sort of pointless to talk about. They'll work out one way or another, probably mm. in a way that's going to be unpleasant as hell. Well, it's mm. already unpleasant as hell for the people that live there. Certainly. Uh, and, uh, and I don't see any solution. I think it's just going to solve itself somehow over time. Hmm. Hmm. So turning in a completely different direction, and this was a topic now for something completely different. Now for something completely different. Um, this is um, I'm 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 trying to meter the uh, number of topics associated with um, with my wife's uh, grandmother, obviously. But one of the curious <laughs> things that came out from that was within literally as we heard about it, we put her name. Uh, into Google and immediately had a photograph of the train and car impacted immediately and a news story immediately. And because everyone wants to be like YouTube, there were public comments posted below the photograph of the crash site. And this whole site was this, was this a news site or what? Yeah, this was a news site. I guess that's just part of the territory now. Yeah. Yeah, so this is, exactly what the point you think. Yeah. this is exactly the point I'm making. So there were a whole lot of posts that were just blatantly offensive. Yeah. The thing that struck me is that this whole notion but of... But that's de- not surprising to you, is it? No, this is the curious thing. I think this phenomena of death in public is something that is very real. And interestingly enough, initially, and particularly around September 11th, when people were jumping out of buildings and associated with dead, um, you know, dead... Yeah. Um, military folk and these kind of things there was initially a media sympathy associated with that but now it doesn't really matter whether they're Americans or not you're still going to and this is the thing that I've always found very curious because certainly in my mother's position I mean when she was a diplomat I heavily anticipated particularly in the areas I mean she received an award for assisting with the rescue of a fellow in Iraq I mean she did various things that as a child I was disturbed by but she did things that, uh, you know, I had no control over and it was part of her job. But the other downside of that is that the potential for her appearing in one of these, uh, you know, videos being like yeah. the shot at the back of the head or yeah. a wide variety of other things was pretty, yeah. you know, in the forefront of my mind. And I think the notion of the way people die, but also dying in public is really a curious modern phenomenon. 
Well, I think death, we, you know, death is the, one of the big taboos, you know, maybe the only really big one and the one people don't talk about. But how is it a taboo if it's done in the circuit? I think well, we'd no, like I mean, to in, within, within, I mean, people, uh, my sense is people are afraid of the whole idea and won't face it within themselves. In any, because, in any successful way, anyway. Because but, in stark contrast to my wife's grandmother's death, I was told quite explicitly not to post anything about my grandfather's death, which happened on the day of the funeral of my wife's grandmother. And um, they posted a little video that was played at his funeral that was circulated privately. One of the cousins posted a relatively cryptic comment on Facebook, but aside from that... We we were instructed very heavily not to make any public mention. My assumption is they don't listen to this podcast um, of my grandfather's death, which was in fact, as you say, very much the kind of old world view of death. However, I feel very strongly about both my grandfather and my wife's grandmother. I think they're people whose lives should be celebrated, and it's certainly not the way. I feel about just because yeah, yeah, that's just because they think that way. Fine, they're welcome to feel whatever the hell they want. So yeah, so there's been some. I I, I wrote this down as, as funeral aficionado in my notes because this is certainly the way I feel in these circumstances. But I have seen a quite surreal extreme associated with perceptions of death recently, and it is something that I find quite. I don't know. I don't. It's it's something that just it appears in front of me as opposed to something that I can actually comprehend. I was initially very, um, because because I did this model rail show, I knew immediately the train that struck my grandmother, what kind of train, uh, my wife's grandmother rather, what kind of train it was and these kind of things. And um, because I knew that, and I knew a variety of things about the train, I've also been able to help my wife's family explain why they didn't see the car and a variety of other things. But um, to see that immediately and to have that image immediately and the entire family had that image of the, the, the point of where the train actually stopped just struck me as really quite curious that through cell phones and these things, we immediately knew that that was the end. That was the point yeah. that it all ended. Yeah. And it, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It was just curious. So I wanted to put that out there. Yeah. Well, death, man, that's that's the great mystery, <laughs> I guess. I don't. Mm. I remember. I came to I, terms with it pretty yeah. much. Well, again, you know, it's just that other thing. Well, no, no. Apparently, you don't. I think most people don't actually. Mm. But for me, I still think it's an, to me. There's a big distinction between death and dying. Mm. And I'm certainly not looking forward to a pain like dying in a burning automobile. Mm. That doesn't sound like anything I'd like to do. Death doesn't be, hold any, you know, being dead is nothing. Yeah. But dying could be a problem. Yeah. So I think the, the, my own view is to die really slowly of something that was quite debilitating is probably, and I mean, I'm very thankful that both my wife's grandmother and my grandfather didn't. My grandfather, um, well, died over a relatively short period of time, about eight days, um, and it was pretty well downhill. But that, for me, I think would be considerably better than dying over, you know, months or years. No, if you knew, see, that is what I would prefer, I think. Well, either to just simply have a stroke and a heart attack at the same time and just fall <laughs> down dead. That would be cool. 
But mm. actually, better, I think, would be to know that you've got, like, six months and that it's going to go downhill and to take a look at that and figure out how do I feel now and what's mm. acceptable to me. And when I get to the point where this is no more any fun, to get together with everybody I love and have a great big party and mm. then kill myself. So I knew this fellow, and unfortunately I don't know the exact circumstance of this because he was a fellow who I knew in passing at the university. But his wife fed him some fish, and from that there was something in the fish that poisoned him. But he knew to the day when he was going to die, and he did exactly that. He yeah. had a party. He And the terrible thing about it was that he would... I mean, he knew for probably a six-month period. I don't know whether he was going through, like, progressive organ failure or what the circumstances were. But it was a very curious thing because his children were there and around him, and I would see his children constantly because they were at the local university as well. And everyone knew that he was going to die, and he would joke about it. Initially, when I, he first said it to me, I thought he was joking. And then he looked serious, and I realized that he wasn't joking. But um, it was a very curious way because he really did have, as you say, a time frame laid out. I mean, my assumption is obviously it was going to be relatively painful. I'm sure, you know, he, he had well, that's the right. It. No, it doesn't have to be painful. You can cure the pain, but well, you doing that, a, you become yeah. A, yeah, a sponge, yeah. and that's no fun. So yeah. there, you have to, there has to be a point Balance. that when yes. you say, okay, this, this is where I draw the line, you know. This is not the kind of life I want to live. Mm. And at that point, you check out. Under mm. your own power, under your own will. I think mm. that's the idea. Like I say, aside from just, like I say, dying in the middle of a sporting event or something, you know, that you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, then that would be the most deliberate death you could have. Mm. God, I love that idea. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've been thinking about the instantaneous. It's very, this is a very morbid subject. We probably no, should move on. No, it's not at all. This is, this is something every human being is going to have to face. Very true. Very true. Very true. Jeez, if there's anything we can be absolutistic about. See, I'm still planning on living 10,000 years. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I'm modest. I'm only claiming 10,000 years. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't plan think Kurt will have forever. any impact yeah. on anything. Having spoken to H-plus people... <laughs> My feeling is that these people will have no impact. In fact, are actively working against my life currently, so <laughs> probably shouldn't be trusted with regards to anything more. But anyway, I mean, we, we do diverge on this subject a little. We did talk a little bit last time about the idea of transposing my book to Northern California, I think. Maybe I wasn't talking Northern California. Maybe I was still talking yeah. Georgia when we spoke. Yeah. But having read it, I had it in my hand, and I thought, let, and I just became disgusted with the whole thing and said, no. There's, there's no way I can do things like seasons. Everything would be just completely out of order. It's based in Australia and screw, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because as you described... Well, in that case, just why don't you make it on another planet? Yeah, exactly. And just don't change it, but just say, actually, this took place in a galaxy <laughs> far away and long ago. This has nothing to do with anything you've ever heard about. Yeah, well, that's the way an American reader would treat it anyway. Yeah, that's right, but they don't know that, though, and they'll be confused and pissed yeah, so, off. Exactly. So, yeah, it's being left as is, and, you know, my friend in Australia who, who clearly won't listen to this podcast may not send me the... You see, he has an... He, he, part of his bit was saying that he had an original manuscript. The original manuscript had actual real photographs within it. Yeah. I've included photographs in the later ones from scans, but the early ones had photographs of a wide variety of things that appeared in the fictional, in inverted commas, account, which is actually considerable curious, all of which have been lost, including 
a wide variety of photos that I think fit in very heavily with that. He said he still had that version. It was being held in some place in New South Wales. He was going to pick it up and send it to me. I'm not holding my breath associated with that, but that was part of the, the additional yeah. dialogue. But no, I, I felt very emotionally, and my view is that um, it should possibly be coming out in the end of January. My brother arrives here, and my hope is that I will have a, a pile of maybe 50 copies that I'm in the process of sending to various newspapers and other folk in the U.S. for the, the formal launch of it. Um, but I've just got to get it out. I mean, yeah. that was my feeling, was that this thing is it was supposed to come out last year, but through the circumstances towards the end of last year, it all kind of fell in a heap. And rather than just leaving in that heap, it needs to be kind of swept up and put out. Yeah. So. Well, you, at least we got rid of most of the typos. <laughs> I think I'm feeling a lot more at peace with that, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, the last thing I had was some seasonal adjustments associated with capitalizing the seasons. Ah. And now I'm actually clear that my my grammatical use of that is correct. Then there are only a couple of seasons that need to be capitalized. I think that was the last one that I had a concern about. And I'm not really... Interested in uh, yeah, yeah, that's picky stuff. No one's going to mind exactly. that. Stuff. Particularly not you know people at work at newspapers. People in the United States anyway. Yeah, I'm into that. I'm into that. <laughs> so what else do I have here? Oh, so I think probably towards the end of last year we talked a little bit about my general level of discomfort here, and this has come up recently as well because I think my wife's family are also feeling a certain degree of discomfort. We had a number of states that we would consider. Obviously, my first choice, my number one choice is moving to the UK. But my wife's family seems to think that uh, we could probably at least try a hop somewhere else in the US before we went to the UK. Um, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about that. But the one state that we came down to was Pennsylvania, because it's both very large and there's still reasonably priced blocks of land out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania that are still within rail and various other links to um, the eastern seaboard and various other things. So I think we're looking at areas of Pennsylvania currently, but my preference is still the UK. And, um, yeah, it is an ongoing narrative associated with where we're going to live next. Well, you you said that you, the last I heard, uh, you were questioning how much longer your company was going to be around. I, I don't know what's taken place since then. Well, I don't know either, aside from the fact that uh, I'm just getting constant mixed signals. So, I mean, my feeling is that you, sometimes you have to preempt okay. these things. Right. So, so you just, you're clear that something's going on and, and it's time to start thinking about other possibilities. Yeah, right? I think so. I mean, my, I, I, it's one of these funny things, actually, that I've never felt. I mean, aside from purchasing this house, which has given me some sense that I'm bonded to a place for a certain amount of time, I now don't feel that degree of burden associated with that, with the view that there'll be renters and other things yeah. that can pick up the house, and I'm not particularly fussed by that. Um, but yeah, I, the, the interesting thing with Pennsylvania is just out of the states of the U.S., aside from California, I know more people in Pennsylvania than probably any other state. And I thought in terms of, because I really, I feel, and I know we've talked about this before, it's associated with the notion of community, but I am interested actually what it would be like to live in a place where I actually knew other people that I knew I could <laughs> converse with that had moderately similar interests. Oh, good luck. And, <laughs> in the physical space you're talking about? So you can do that here in the Matrix. 
I, I know. I'm, you we, think we you're going to go to Pennsylvania and pull into the local diner and have a chat with not people? At all. Not at all. No, I just know enough eccentrics in Pennsylvania that are sympathetic to the stuff that I do that I think at least one weekend out of four I could get on a train or do something like that and, ah, and meet okay. up with them. And have, so have it's really important to you then to, to, to actually meet in the same room with people? I don't think and... it's – well, look, I've, clearly my life for the past decade has, has indicated that it's not important at all for me to do any of those things. But I think increasingly um, – well, for example, let's, let's, let's talk about model rail radio as a phenomenon. Um, because my feeling, well, it's already at about nine and a half thousand listeners that are like trackable listeners. They're having a get together in Springfield, Massachusetts at the end of this month where there's a train show there and they've realized that there are enough listeners that they can actually have right. two large meals and meet up with people right. and things that like that. Would be, now that would be fun. You're right. Yeah. That would be cool. So I have no problem with that. <laughs> so my point is that through doing some of these things, and heaven forbid there may actually be a chance in the future for a Stone 8 related or, or <laughs> two Scrooges. Two Scrooges. Two related. Scrooges. Right. No, Scrooges. Scrooges. Damn it, damn it, damn it. You know? <laughs> oh, well. What? I'm going to have to get you a T-shirt here. Um, so, yeah. The, 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 so that, I think, and... It's not a weekend where even I could get on a plane and go and visit because my brother will be here. That's the that's the weekend my brother's here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in in other circumstances, I, and my plan was to actually go up to Massachusetts in November because there's another one of these get-togethers. And oh, I think I, those kinds of things. One of the things I would love if I had more money would be to travel and go to conventions. Mm. You know, I mean that's fun to meet with with people from all over the world who are there to talk about a specific subject that I'm yeah. interested in? Shit. It, it doesn't get much better than that. That's fun. Well, I'm doing that in Salt Lake City this year. I'm giving a talk at a, a philosophical theoretical biology conference, uh, which is probably going to be some kind of biota gathering as well, although I, I probably need to do more publicity in that direction. Yeah. Uh, and there will probably be about 20 people that I have you know, known through the matrix there, including potentially Gerald de Jong. And um, that is of some interest to me. I mean, when I went up to the Bay Area, I did actually enjoy kind of kicking around with people who I knew through some online interaction. And I guess my feeling with regards to Philadelphia, well, not Philadelphia, but with Pennsylvania in general yeah, is... Philadelphia, that, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know if the uh, west, western part of Pennsylvania would agree with you. No, either, that's but, uh, so, but I think the thing that strikes me about that part of the world is that it is, yeah, I, I probably would find more, um, more folk in common than I do in Las Vegas, perhaps for some of the reasons that we yeah. started this conversation with. Um, but I still feel really strongly that it is still just a stepping stone to get back to the UK. Yeah. And I don't know. It's a, it's a strange thing. I've been trying well, to... Well, then uh, why... I mean, if that's really it... Mm. Um, so who who is it that doesn't... Does someone not want to go to the UK? I think my wife's concern with regards... Although my wife really enjoyed living in the UK and wants to move back there progressively, there's... There, the circumstances associated with what has gone on recently has made my life think more strongly, particularly, for example, as I may have mentioned, her father is going blind and various other things. Okay, so, 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 okay, so she needs to be around her parents. Well, there's a kind of sense of 
there's a sense of kind of dwindling immediacy there that um, that needs to. Um, well, but that's that's still an awkward situation, though. You know, mm, well, either you, everybody moves or she abandons. Well, not she doesn't. Of course, she can always come back. I've, I've always advocated that, and certainly situation. when we lived in the UK, we actually got an annual Christmas card from British Telecom because she would spend. I think twenty four hours a month on the phone to the US. Ah, okay. So, yeah, yeah. and now thankfully and now with Skype, Skype video, <laughs> hell yes, skippy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so no, I'm. I think uh, it's an interesting thing. It's it's a work. So in who's going to make the, this decision? You well, and your wife have to. I mean, how much do, do the parents have anything to say about this? Or well, the parents are in the process of basically getting out of California, which they've been doing for the past decade, but I think now the grandmother is no longer around. They really have no excuse to stay in California. Okay, so they want out of California. They want to make a move. There are certain things that obviously, I mean, due to the circumstances of um, my wife's grandmother's death, a number of them, not just associated with the nonsense associated with her death, there are certain things that need to play out, which involve lawyers and courts and that kind of stuff. But once all that is done, yeah. I think there is, uh, they will certainly be of means to go pretty well anywhere. And honestly, we could sponsor them to go to the UK without any hassle. I mean, oh, okay. uh, all right. So, so, so basically, they can do anything they want. You can do yeah. anything you want, and and yeah. how they react to that, and that they're not going to be in any trouble one way or another. Exactly. So well, that's perfect. So why not just go directly to the UK then? It's playing itself out in that direction. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, see, it makes no difference to me. <laughs> um, well, I'd I just be talking to you at 3 a.m. versus yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, say. that could be a problem. That's right. It It'll wouldn't be a problem necessarily. Yeah, whatever. No, we'll just, we may, it may affect us, but if we really yeah. want to talk, we'll find a way to do it. Yeah. And, and similarly, um... This I'm going a to really be... good time for me, though. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good time for me currently as well. But anyway... So what else did I have on my list of discussion? Oh, yes. Okay, so you were talking to uh, Mel in Japan. I found that conversation very interesting. And you mentioned that you had been married for a period of time to a Japanese woman. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? You mentioned <laughs> that you'd been married for a period of time to a Mexican woman, no, but not, not a Japanese woman. No, not Mexican. She was, no, I said she was an illegal alien. Ah! <laughs> I didn't say, apparently I didn't say what she was illegal from. <laughs> you oh. made that assumption. Uh, because I, I can't, yes, I'm, we must have had some conversations where I just inserted Spanish and yeah. various other things in the yeah. thing. Yeah, well, apparently. Uh. And, and I may not have specified. I just said she, you know, she was here illegally. That's very curious. Ah, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And you were married for only a couple of years. Two years. Two just, years. Just long enough to get her a green card. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's fascinating. So I had to, yes, you're right. There's absolutely nothing positive that you had given me. And it did just come as an assumption, I guess, living in L.A., maybe. But, well, yeah. That's, that's the obvious assumption. That would be the default, uh, you know. That's probably why I do it that way, just to fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, but, of course. <laughs> So you're a gotcha. <laughs> well, what's what's the Heron Stone quote? When people's language and their actions do not meet, then the, the there's some there's some quote that you have no, associated no, with language and action. Oh, I don't know, but my I, I I've said it. Yeah, actually, I haven't written that down. I probably should, but that I yeah. strive to make my language and my actions uh, coincide. 
so that there's no discrepancy between those two. I don't always succeed, and when I fail, I usually admit it and apologize, but I try to do what I say I'm going to do. And I had promised myself that I would include in the 1993 writing the for the sober delirium is the only respite quote. And I have to add that to the... Uh, I have to add... <laughs> Say that again? For the sober, delirium is the only respite. For the sober, <laughs> delirium is the only respite. I was going to add that to the... And I promised myself I would, and I haven't, and I have to go back and do that. Thankfully, it's not yet out, so I can add that uh, after we finish talking. <laughs> because, no, that is a, that is a favourite quote of mine that I promised I would actually get in something that I wrote formally. And there are a number, as you've read the 1993 writings, there are a number of points where that fits in perfectly. Um, so, no, that does... Okay, so that's fascinating. Ah, so that's 1990. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, know, I know more about you than you know. No, about, I'm uh, sure you do. <laughs> you probably, I'm sure you do. Yeah, I mean, I can be... Prod like I say, I could, I could watch a movie last night, and I can't tell you what it is tonight. But if if you prod me, go oh, and I go, oh yeah, give me a couple of hints. It's all there, but I can't access it. I think I am getting senile, probably. Uh, the information is there, uh, and it can be reconstructed. But I have so little interest in reconstructing it that you know it's just not of much consequence to, to me right now. Whether I was married in 1990 or 1994 mm. or, or whatever, you know, probably that's a reasonable time frame, I guess. Hmm. It was before well, I had a computer, and I got a computer. Oh, so it must have been oh, it's a lot longer ago than that. Then. Wow. Yes, that's the 80s. Yeah. Early oh, 80s. yeah. Yeah, I got my computer in that's 84. Yeah. So, um, Jesus, was that? You know, sometimes I have trouble putting all this back together. I'm trying to think. Uh, <laughs> it was actually, it was, no, I don't think I, I'm trying to, I remember when we were living together and where I had a computer at that place, but not at that time. Not when we were married. So it was before 84. Gosh. The decades are just disappearing there, Harold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have, like I say, and to me, I don't really care. <laughs> it's just like, who cares? <laughs> I mean, I could actually, I, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, no question in my mind, I could go back to my journals, and, you know, because I'm sure it'll reflect in my journals, and my journals go back way before that. So, um, you know. I, I could, if I needed to, pinpoint all sorts of things, if I had an interest to do it. Certainly, certainly. So I'm out of topics now, Heron, and I'm sure you've had topics that you've generated through the week. Is there anything you can think of? <clears throat> hmm. no, right now, I'm quite content. I'm not feeling any need to talk about anything, but I'm certainly open. I love talking, so, <laughs> you know, I'm open to whatever shows up. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I'm pretty well out of topics, actually. I'm trying to think of my own. There were a few that kind of occurred to me, but we never actually committed to paper, which makes it even harder to, uh, to return to these things. Yeah. I think I'm just happy to get you Gerald Dion's son and his son's girlfriend singing Black Hole Sun, which I'll find for you now while, while we're well, doing Also, this. and was there, uh, you said you were, you began the topic about talking about Mel, but we never 
really talked about it, didn't he? Or is, oh. it, just, or is it just that Japanese so, thing? No, I that think the, only the, 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 the thing that struck me about that most was that I was um, looking at the Zeitgeist stuff in parallel and trying to understand what from this... I mean, uh, to give us a background to this, my wife didn't have a particularly high opinion of the co-worker that gave her the DVD. And <laughs> yeah. when yeah. she started watching it, she became even more concerned. And certainly that's the same experience in the sandwich shop. And um, yeah. it just strikes me that if this kind of um, poorly put... Well, I, this is my own perception of seeing three minutes of it with my wife dragging me in to make me watch it because it was just so awful but kind of reconstructed and poorly understood. I mean, part of this is... Um, what are you talking about? The, the first the... Zeitgeist movie. Okay. All right. Um, and what's the fellow's name? Joseph? Peter something? Joseph. Peter Joseph. Okay. Have you had any communication with Peter Joseph? No. Have you, you've watched the Zeitgeist movies, though. I've seen the first one and part... I think most of the second one. I don't know. I don't have much interest in him, really. No. Well, I shouldn't say that. I have actually the like again. The Teamspeak server is vital to my life, and the Zeitgeist movement, I guess, is vital to my life in that it's a place where I can meet people who are actually thinking about some of these things. The fact that eighty percent of them are morons and unconscious language monkeys is of no consequence to me. Mm. You know, like I say, the, the fact is there's more conscious people there by a factor of ten or twenty than there is in any general gathering of Homo sapiens. Well, I mean, that's your assertion. Well, of certainly... course. That's, well, that's my experience there. I find a, a fair amount of people that I enjoy talking to there. Yeah, I guess, I guess my sense of, I mean, particularly your discussion with Devil's Advocate, was <laughs> just that, um, because really I don't get a sense of the, team, the Zeitgeist TeamSpeak servers aside from the occasional people that come in that you talk to. But the description, I guess I'm always interested in... Um, the social movement component of these kind of alternate, well, yeah. alternate, but it's just the way that the social movements, these social movements come together and the kind of people who are ultimately on some level, as, as the devil's advocate fellow appeared to be, have a series of ideas, but really are lost in their own thinking. No, he, he's, he's a troll. The uh, devil's advocate is there to be the center of attention. That's his sole purpose. Well, he's, he's thought about some of the ideas, yes, but yeah. th that's not why he's there. He's not there to share and learn and meet other people and hear what they have to say and share what his opinions. Yeah, he's there to be the center of attention. Without question, there's a clear kind of passive-aggressive and, as you say, center of attention element, but I think what you find in those kind of personalities is that they're ultimately having problems finding a... Uh, an intellectual community, or at least some... I, I wasn't as... I mean, certainly the analysis and the description of what he did elsewhere was relatively hostile, and I understand certainly from the way that he dominated your conversation room, what have you, uh, would probably be mapped onto a wide variety of other locations. But the nature of the kind of discussion that you were having anyway is just... I don't know, I, I guess... My only real experience with these kind of environments was IRC chat. And I'll tell you a story associated with that because it's relatively interesting. After I released the um, the first Noble Ape CD, which was called Isle of the Apes, uh, and I got public funding for that in Australia, I had a bit of free time on my hand. 
And I can't recall why I had IRC chat open, but I was I immediately became aware that it was used primarily for people talking about their relationships with their significant others. And it was really, I'm not sure, have you ever experienced IRC chat? Are you familiar no, with what I'm I, talking about? I know about? what it is, uh, and I, I was on it maybe two or three times. I never have been a typer. I've never been a, into chat. Ah, you know, okay. I so I, I basically maintained it passively until um, a very, um, I don't know, a, a, a Malaysian woman. She was Taiwanese originally, but she was a, she was a couple of years older than me. Um started kind of typing like furious passages into my chat and I started corresponding with her and within probably it seems like only a couple of weeks I'm trying to do the math here she had flown to Australia and was camped on my doorstep <laughs> and, um, she actually is the origin of the Noble 8 face the face logo of the Noble 8 simulation she drew that um, and it was quite a strange circumstance for me because she was there and there was a nine month period, which is even more confusing. I'm probably more Heron Stone than you are, Heron, in this regard. Um, and she, she lived with me for probably four months over nine months and then she was just gone. And people would say to me, you know, what happened to Isabel? I said, I don't know. She, was, she just didn't come home one night. <laughs> it was very curious. And, um, she now, she got a degree from London School of Economics, and she's done very well for herself. Um, Are you still in touch with her? I, when I got on Facebook, because she's, she's very much, well, the whole circumstance of her disappearance, she literally disappeared and left me with basically everything that she owned. And then six months later, when I, I went to the Bay Area briefly and then came back, I had a hurried email from her saying that she wanted her stuff back. And I had already... Yeah, I'd already... Sold it. <laughs> yeah, well, I boxed up a lot of it and sold what could be sold because yeah. I was out of the place that I was yeah. in. I mean, I, yeah. I, I yeah. hadn't contacted me for a period of time. Yeah. Um, she also, she understood that, I hope. Not really. Really? Um, well, then she's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I think the, the jury was already in. Oh, okay, the, yeah. The jury was still out on me at well, this time. Well, no, term. she was spontaneous up until this point, but expecting yeah. you to give her her shit after that much yeah. time is crazy. But, um, <laughs> and I, yeah, so I basically told her what happened, and then she said, well, send me the money from it, and I said, well, you lived with me rent-free. I mean, you know, we yeah. were in yeah. some kind Excuse of relationship me? over this period of time, but I basically bought everything, including airline tickets for you and food. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's kind of zero-summed here. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, it was one of these strange circumstances. And that's my only – so that's my only experience with this because I've never had – I mean, obviously, I record podcasts. Wait, that's so your only experience with what? With having, like, an open line out where people can just chat in and there's this kind of communication going on. I've never – I've never gone on to an environment where people can uh, like actively talk with me or have conversations or where I go out and seek conversations. Uh -huh. This may seem quite surreal because what I do with podcasts is almost like that, almost exactly like that. Well, it is that. In some way. Well, I think it's, 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 it's considerably more controlled than that because basically... Yes, well, it's sensible. Yes. Yes, yeah. this is a reasonable way for people to exchange ideas and think and meet new people. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's but, not, I mean, it's for not example, like being drunk at a bar with with, with a whore. No, but yeah. I mean, in these circumstances, what we, I mean, what you and I have decided to do is that we both enjoy talking to one another, and we enjoy putting recordings out, and other people enjoy listening to it. So, I mean, in the extreme, that is that circumstance. Model rail radio. There's a group of people that like talking about model trains. I put it out. The thing that interests me is once this 1993 writing comes in, if people, because certainly what has happened is huge crossover between all my projects in terms of people that listen to Biota and then come to Model Rail Radio and then may come to Stone 8, to Scrooges, what have you. Um, so there's some kind of cross-pollination that goes on there, which I'm sympathetic to, but I've never gone out to, for example, this kind of online community element and just put myself out there where I'm on it for considerable amounts of time kind of communicating out. The only example I have like that that I've ever done, and even that was a passive way, was with this IRC thing. And the the circumstances that came after the IRC basically moved me against doing that in any real form. Although I'm very sympathetic to people contacting me, and you know I, I don't have any problem with that. But I think the kind of people... Well, I don't like people just calling me that I don't even know. I'll, I understand that, but yeah. I'm talking about... You know, no, but I'm open happened. to talking to anybody who's actually interested in talking about the same stuff I'm interested in talking about. What I'm trying to say is that um, I guess I guess one could consider talk show almost like that. But I think the kind of my experience with IRC and particularly, for example, there are some A life projects, artificial life projects that literally exist on IRC. There are fifteen, twenty developers that are constantly in IRC chat communication, constantly yeah. developing, and I'm. Well, firstly, I can't do that. I mean, the, the the formality associated with recording podcasts is that there are very specific times that I record podcasts in, and the other times I, you know, I'm either at work yeah. or I'm working on yeah. things or things like that. So I'm I understand that um, people at a certain degree of free time are probably a lot easier or are able to get into these environments. But the thing that well, strikes let me, me, let me let me throw something out here because <laughs> I think this is why I have Skype. Mm-hmm. My, I, Skype is on 24 hours a day, whether I'm there or not. Mm-hmm. And anybody who wants to get a hold of me anytime, any day, if my computer is on, they can get a hold of me in five seconds. Yes. It's just that simple. Yes. You know, and if I'm not here, then when I get here, I'll get the message. Yeah. And and that really simplifies you. I get lots of shit from people I don't even know. And, um, you know, and I just ignore it. It's irrelevant. I don't get that much. I shouldn't say lots. I get an occasional thing. That I, but uh, it's not really a problem. And it's yeah. so convenient. I, I guess my point is that I perhaps have a... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of the right words here. But I have a um, certain aversion, basically, to people that spend long periods of time in these kind of supposed community communication environments. Oh, I know. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, don't and they have anything I think, better to do? Well, <laughs> but also I think it probably cultivates a certain... And this is the interesting thing, because what I heard through the um, discussion with Devil's Advocate made me kind of ebb and flow between sympathies with him and sympathies with you in terms of you know, the nature of the environment and these kind of things. But it was a very striking construction that immediately identified that the zeitgeist movement and the people that kind of congregate there. And as I was listening to the conversation that you had with Mel and the descriptions of translating these films and then getting the realisation that these films were the same film that my wife had had uh, you know yeah. received from a coworker and the same. Well, no, this store. is a new movie. No one's seen this one yet. This is getting released on the 15th. Yeah. And 
I, in terms of the in terms of the Joseph fellows, I don't know his whether he's some kind of messiah or visionary or just you know he's documentary not that he's maker. A filmmaker. Okay, so his qualities of a filmmaker that draw people to him. Oh, listen, do you, you don't know the history of this thing. So, you know, you've come in in the middle of the game. Do you know how it actually got started, why the first film was even made? Well, I've got Wikipedia. That's probably as bad as it can get in terms of an analysis. So give it to me, Harry. Well, I'll give you my story. Okay. okay. Peter Joseph uh, is a musician, a percussionist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was sort of making a living as a film editor for other filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And once in a while, he'd, he'd get a gig being a percussionist. But he wanted to do his, he wanted to do a, an evening performance, a percussion performance. And since he worked as a film editor, he decided to make a movie to play behind his percussion performance. Mm-hmm. And he rented a theater somewhere in New York, because that's where he lived at the time. And, you know, a 250-seat theater and advertised it. And I guess he's, I don't know if he sold out or if he made money or if he got, was even or not, but he had a performance. You know, he played his, he wrote this, like, hour-and-a-half-long percussion piece uh, with this movie behind it. And and that was it. That was what he had planned on doing. And then, because he had nothing better to do when the movie was already made, he put it up on YouTube. And it went viral. Went, he had no intention of doing anything until, you know, 20 million people had seen his movie and started contacting him. And they were, you know, for some people, that movie really spoke to some people. Other people, of course, get nothing from it whatsoever. They can see whatever they want to see in it. But for some people, it was life-changing. And that's how the whole thing got started. I guess, well, that's almost an L. Ron Hubbard narrative, isn't it? I don't know what it is. It's just what it is. Yeah, he's just a guy who's found himself in a position, <laughs> and he's and he's doing what he's doing with it, you know? So, in terms of the first film, which I've seen exits of, at least the start section of it, I can understand how you could do a percussion performance to it. That yeah. makes some sense. Yeah. But in terms of the um, the politics of the film... You're saying that's not something that he actually created, or that's an interpretation after the fact, or he just... Oh, I, don't, I have no idea. I haven't talked to him. I, I have no idea. I, I haven't talked to him about what he actually was thinking at the time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So all the politics... But I do know that the, the, that the percussion performance was the central issue. It was being on stage and, and, making, and having a performance, a live performance with people there. That was what he wanted to do. So then the second film comes along. Well, now that's a whole new mall game, though. Now there's a movement. The whole world so, has changed. He was just some guy <laughs> who made a movie to accompany his performance, and now he's got 20,000 people telling him they want to do something now. Okay, so this description associated with the creating something for a percussion performance, you're very sympathetic to that. Oh, I think it's cool. I think the whole thing is cool. I like all of it. I have not, listen, I, the problem I think is, the big problem is that you're intolerant of the 80% of the people there who are morons and followers. 
And I just, and I figure, shit, only 80%? Talk, this is a great place to be. <laughs> yes, it, it's all, it's mostly hype and bullshit and, you know, and stupid people with their opinions. But that is what Mel is representing. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I would, I'd have to think about it more critically. I don't really care, actually. See, that's the whole point. I think, uh, I think if people are doing something that gets people to think or talk about stuff, uh, I think that's usually a good thing. I think even though they're, yeah, I'm not as critical. That's funny because I'm the most critical, arrogant asshole. In but the isn't world. that what religion is? Couldn't you say that religion actually got people thinking and talking about philosophical issues? So by the same bit, you I should think be religion. Well, again, there's a distinction between religion and spirituality. Organized religion is one thing. Okay. Uh, uh, so, uh, so what you're talking about? Okay, but I mean, <laughs> what you've described here could also be attributed to organized religion in terms of getting people to think and talk. I mean. Of so, course. In fact, I see this is very much like a religion. They don't want to talk about it that way, actually. But mm. it's filling. It's it's. In fact, I'm sure that for some people, it's filling exactly that little hole in mm. them. Oh yeah. Like uh, I say, it's, I'm real clear that eighty to ninety percent of the people there are, like I say, not the, not people I'm particularly interested in going bowling with. You know. Mm. Do you bowl? <laughs> Not recently. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, as people seem to like me telling stories, I'll tell you the story of my perfect game. <laughs> because I don't bowl. I don't bowl. I am the. Uh, you've got to appreciate I'm six foot four. I'm kind of. Yeah, like you a actually, large I can tell by the way you talk. Creature, <laughs> sky, Gangly. you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, it's all people bowling is just wrong anyway. But anyway, I, I put chance, my, my wife's grandmother, uh, was a bowler and, uh, the family would go bowling occasionally. And on one of these evenings, I had a perfect game and it was really, you talk about the wings of butterflies causing tornadoes. This yeah. thing clearly came from that. Uh, you're serious. And- you're telling me you, you, you're really serious. You bowled. Perfect strikes all the You've way never through. seen anything like this, Harry. Well, I've never seen anything. I would say that's close to a miracle. <laughs> that's, a, that's about as close to a miracle that's a, as that's it is. That's a Southern Californian miracle, right? It is, really. You have never, you, I mean, literally, <laughs> I thought it was going to end in some kind of orgy. The <laughs> in-laws, I have never seen people react. Really? Like well, they should because that really was a miracle. <laughs> you know, I'm serious, man. That, that, the what are the odds? How many times had you bowled before that? Comically, probably a dozen. Okay, yeah, and you bowl a perfect game. That is a fucking miracle. You need to honor that for, <laughs> for what it is. Well, the next game was my usual. Yes, right. Of eighty-six. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, low nineties, but yeah, that was the thing. Was yeah. we yeah. bowled one game prior, which I did absolutely rubbish in. I did the perfect game, and then we bowled another game where I did absolutely right rubbish. And you in. never bowled another three hundred a game again, yeah. or never got a buzz a hundred, probably. So, yeah, so this is the thing, and the animals were just going berserk, and I, I thought I almost wanted to throw it at some stage. Because I thought this yeah. thing is so ridiculous. Well, but I just minute, you didn't me. realize what was happening? 
I mean, to you, this just seemed perfectly reasonable that you. I thought I was bowling exactly like I'd bowl. I mean, I couldn't tell any difference. Okay, so you have no. All right, so you have no appreciation of statistics. Then that's what. Well, no, 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 no. I understand the statistics. I would have begun to get very suspicious after like the sixth stroke. What I'm talking about is that physically, I couldn't. No, I was trying to work out what physically I was doing in order to get these results. And you had no idea, of course. Clearly, I mean, my mind was active. I understood the statistics. I understood how completely ridiculous this whole thing was. And yet, it continued to work. I mean, (laughs) that that realizing that should have broken the spell. (laughs) Exactly. Particularly towards the end. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the more pressure to keep it up. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Well, see, like I say, that's why I think this really is, I mean, really, if anybody asks me if I know anybody who's personally experienced a miracle, I can now say yes. Well, this the fact that you don't miracle. acknowledge it that way is this your business. This is a miracle only in Southern California, Heron. It doesn't pass as a miracle anywhere. Else. Really? You don't think so? Well, I don't know, man. I don't, God, that's very strange. You have odd ideas. What is? What would constitute a miracle for you if not something that breaks the fundamental laws of of statistics. Well, of doesn't, it doesn't. No, 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 no. This doesn't break the fundamental laws of statistics. No, you're That's right. Exactly. It doesn't. It was a second time. It would have required a second time <laughs> to break the law. Well, I don't know. No, well, break the laws. No, but the 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 probability is so low that you've got to. I mean, I, it shouldn't be that hard to figure out what the odds are. Well, except no, it's impossible because it's to do with it's to do with physical quantities that you don't no, have any problem. No, I know you can't get exact. But I'm just saying you could come up with some sort of reasonable range. I can't. You know, I've I've thought about this. It's got to be one in a billion at least. I would. It's think. some. Yeah. It's or, some. Or, or it's, maybe much higher than that. Yeah. So. Well, I, I don't know. I think that's fascinating. I, and especially, I can't. I mean. I would have gotten excited. See, that's the thing is, you're saying you apparently were in a trance. You didn't. Uh, the it was fact that this was so, so odd statistically didn't strike you as something worth noting or considering. Well, I'm telling you. I mean, I'm telling you, Heron. If 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 no other reason, I'm telling you, which indicates that I obviously do on some level. It was more the as as I described with regards to recent circumstances. I'm always more captivated by the behaviour of those around me ah, than I am. Okay, so they were all jumping up and down, and that was just. And that I was have never seen anything like it. Ah, I mean, seriously, ah, you've ah, got to okay. imagine yeah. that. Uh, yes, oh, I, know, I know. I know how they operate. Yeah, I know. They were jumping up and down and yelling, <laughs> just like monkeys, hugging <laughs> each other, crying. It was. It yeah. was. I literally, I thought it was kind yeah. of badly. You know, started about what by the eighth frame, right? <laughs> they, by that time, when, yeah, started, by the tenth, when how long did it take them to figure out that this was something special? I think probably after because they'd seen me. Oh, you see, well, my whole bowling you, style was yeah. a thing of amusement up until yeah. then. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because you know, after that, they all bowl uh, like you. <laughs> I mean, you. You remember the Akram keep on trucking kind of thing? Yeah, that's yeah, that's, how I that's your style of bowling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, legs at right angles, arm flailing, the ball goes. You know, that's a great image, too. That that guy in the keep-on trucking, man, Crumb was great, man. The yeah. 60s and the comics that came out in the late 60s were, God, what a breath of fresh air. <laughs> and also all the, all the things associated with beauty. I mean, I think he basically 
completely crushed every image of beauty both <laughs> prior to and after. But as far as I'm concerned, Crumb on Beauty is just, yeah, aesthetically, you know. He really had a, a notion, and it was, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Crumb. I'm a huge fan. Uh, the 60s were great, man. I keep hoping that we can finally come to a new time that would blow the I don't 60s think out happen. of water. I don't think it'll ever happen again, Harold. Uh, no, it's got to be better. No, I don't want that to happen. It's got to be better than the 60s. Yeah. It's got to make the 60s feel like the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I think it was a perfect alignment. I think the baby boom and a wide variety of other factors, yeah. a certain degree of naivete. Of wealth and naivete, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it will never exist ever again. I think it's a... It's, no, uh, that won't exist. But the but the the idea, the thing that was so beautiful is you could walk down the street and look at somebody, and you know they were in your tribe. Yeah. You know, and that was an amazing thing. And sometimes it was very subtle. Sometimes it was ridiculous. You know, it was obvious. But <laughs> but uh, there was this sense that uh, there was uh, really something new. I mean, we really did think we were going to take over the world. I did. Mm. You know. Mm. <laughs> well, what the hell? But uh, that feeling, I think that that I think that can come back. I think there may come a time when, well, yeah, when when that kind of uh, comradeship may show up again and on a global scale too. Yes. Yes. I hope it, so. Anyway, that's the kind of world I want to live in. Yeah, so, it's interesting because as a as a child of a child of the 60s, I mean, children of the 60s, fundamentally, my parents met at a Dylan concert. Um, I, I just get the sense that the powers that be were operating so frantically over that period of time to absolutely positively make sure that it would never happen again. <laughs> and they uh, have done a pretty good job. No, they did an excellent job. In fact, when I, after I wrote the 1993 writing, I wrote a book called When the Flowers Died, which is actually an analysis from the mid-60s through to the mid-70s about all the kind of social reconstruction that occurred based on the, you know, ruling, controlling classes reacting against and creating roadblocks to any well, they future... they co-opted it, is what exactly. they did. They That's exactly it over. The That's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that writing is something that... Yeah, I'm but the people in... were stupid enough to fall for it. That's, That's exactly the point really, that I make. That's yeah, exactly the point. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, the time was not then. That was then. That was the 60s. That was how it went down then. And yeah. humans were not up to it. <laughs> so we have a familiar theme in our discussion that I, my view is always associated with analytical methods to explore what went wrong in order to make sure it doesn't happen yeah. in the future. Well, the thing and is, we is, won't the, have the same situation in the future. We're going to have a new situation. Exactly. But, but it's still good. To, you're right. It's still good. To, you're right. It's still good to know what the hell's going on here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess even from a relatively young age, the analytical mind was trying to explore those things. But no, I can't. I mean, I, I have a very utopian view about this time as you describe it. And it's one that both with regards to music and collections of Crumb's work and a wide variety of other things aside Buffalo from Springfield. <laughs> well, aside, aside from being aside from aside. Well, I'm, I'm in some regard a name that's mentioned in the psychedelic community, but I'm certainly not part of that community. I do wonder about all of that though, in terms of, you know, if one day I will go to a burning man and realize that this is actually my tribe. I'm, I'm missing out on um, my friend Bruce Damer is having a large birthday party that I won't be able to attend, but I've been invited to. And that will very much be a kind of gathering of 
psychonaut technology folk in the in Santa Cruz. Um, I'm sympathetic actually to going to that, except I could probably go actually to that. Um, but yeah, I think currently I've just got to get aspects of my life in order, and I think we're, you know it's it's not the right time for me to be um, in that group just yet. Where is where does he live? He lives um, he lives in uh, Boulder Creek, California, which is equidistant between uh, San Jose and Santa Cruz in the mountains. Okay. And, I was uh, if he was within five miles of me, I'd go in your proxy. But, uh, <laughs> sadly <laughs> never no. Mind. Sadly no. Sadly no. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I do know Lorenzo, who I think is about five miles. Uh, but I don't know. He's in the process of moving, apparently, too. I don't know where he's going to. Um, but, no, so it's something... No, I mean, in every aspect, the nature of my parents, uh, you know, they were, they were of your generation. The experiences that they had, I'm very... Sympathetic to down to your descriptions of you know having speakers on either side of your head and various <laughs> other things. I mean, I've done all of that without yeah. the psychedelics yeah. and thoroughly enjoyed listening to. Yeah, it you know, works without drugs too. It's exactly. just, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. No, you give them amazing spatial stuff, oh, and yeah. also yeah. because I used to work as a DJ, I also scratched that music and played it backwards and slowed it down and done a wide variety of things to kind of experiment with the sound. So no, I'm I'm very sympathetic to all of that. I just think the the combinations as we described associated with the money, the naivety, and also just the, well, the naivety in kind of a pure innocence form, I just can't imagine. Children are, from an early age now are so heavily um, integrated and brutalized that I just no, I can't I think there was a lot of naivete back then, too. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that kind of naivete is gone. <laughs> Except yeah. among maybe some really rich gentry who have, you know, shielded their children somehow. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. it's a new. See, that's the thing is that that's what I really like is that there really isn't anything in the past that we can use as a guide. I mean, it's good to study it. It's good to understand as much as we can. But my experience has been that new stuff, you know, just. You know, we have to learn more abstract tool. Again, it's more general thinking skills uh, than learning the specifics because we're not going to know what the next crisis. In fact, you're often well into the crisis before we even realize it's a crisis. Mm. You know, and and by then, a, a large part of how it's been languaged has been determined by the press and by people. Yeah, I, their own I disagree with that. I think we actually probably have the sense oh, we're told. Very explicitly, no, the country's not in a recession. No, the country's not in a recession. Mind <laughs> you, the country was in a recession because they're really earlier than that. And I think in reality, actually, due to you know basic, intelligible things, we're probably far smarter than you give us credit for, Herod. In these, well, some, in some ways, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. especially in the areas of cynicism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people. <laughs> you know, but that's easy. See, it's all. That's the whole point. Is it's really easy uh, to be cynical about government and big business. Mm. By people in general, anyway. I mean, that's about the easiest game in the world. Mm. And I, yeah. God knows, I guess you could claim that, I mean, people would say that maybe that's how, you know, my continual talking about 1% and language mm. monkeys, that that's just what I'm doing. <laughs> Aside from Algeria, I've been reading a lot about Vietnam recently. When were you in Vietnam? Probably 69 and, uh, yeah, 69. Okay. So, okay, so that puts it into some perspective. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, and it was, that was about the hottest year 
Very much so. Uh, that there was. Yeah. In well, fact, just... <laughs> when we got off the plane, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, no, I don't want to go into stories about it. Never mind. Go ahead. Certainly. But, I mean, it was post-Tet, wasn't it? Um, God, I don't know. You probably can tell me. Probably. Uh, yeah, I think it probably was. But I really don't know. Ted Offensive, uh, January 31st, 1968. My recollection okay, yeah, was that's the definitely second Tet. Yeah. Okay. But um, Tet was basically the, as as described as a, as a great yeah. turning point in terms yeah. of basically yeah. the direction of things. Yeah. And yeah, by, by 69, I mean, I read this stuff. I don't have any... Uh, meaningful experience but the u.s uh was basically in the in the processes of realizing that uh they were going to get <laughs> they were in deep get out shit of there yeah yeah but um i came about this i i do when i started developing noble ape i was working for a consultancy writing a search engine for them i've written a couple of search engines through my career at least a couple one was for Fujitsu in 2005, but this company had a search engine that they'd written for going through, um, like, museum records and things like that and grouping stuff, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of record collections, thousands, no, yeah, hundreds of thousands. Very similar, ironically, to what Gerald de Jung is doing currently, except he's doing it on a much larger scale. So when you talk to him, if you have some interest in this, he'd, he'd be able to talk more on that. But I would cycle home. It was about an hour's cycle back to the shed where I lived, which was in a, the garden of an academic's house. And I would watch Vietnam War movies over that period of time, which was my initial introduction to the kind of aesthetic, um, which I think is very much post the actual Vietnam War. Uh, but a lot of that heavily impacted the early development of Noble Ape and the notion of the jungle and also... The kind of paranoia associated with with the jungle. You know what? What I, I got to throw something in because I just watched a movie recently that mm-hmm. uh, had some stuff about Vietnam in it, and one of the things that keeps coming back to me, uh, and I, ha- I had forgotten about, was the sound of Huey choppers. Mm, yes, very much. That, so. that is the sound of Vietnam for just about everybody who is there. Yeah. that's it, man. You, that sound <laughs> is just. Uh, you know, and it brought the whole thing back, listening to that sound yeah. and, and realizing, wow, you know, that's amazing, though, just how that can, well, s- you know, smells obviously are another deeply rooted thing. Certainly. But, but I never, I hadn't thought about that before, but, yeah, that sound is the whole war. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. No, I had a friend's father who was a vet, um, and obviously he was, he was part, I mean, Australia obviously um, had, had a number of folk that went to Vietnam, uh, and his father had um, like night tremors associated with the sounds of helicopters, yeah. and obviously been heavily involved with that, although didn't actively talk about well, it. Well, the helicopters were everywhere. I mean, it's, it's not just in. I never was in actual combat, but <laughs> the helicopters that were going into combat flew out of my base. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I heard those things all the time, and they're the different context, obviously, but. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's it's. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, go it's ahead. just that it's, it's it sort of surprises me because I don't pride myself on knowing the difference of of the subtleties and the sounds of different kinds of helicopters. Mm. But I don't, and I don't even know for sure what the name of that is. It's a Huey. I know that, but I mean, there's probably some model number, you know. Certainly. But I mean, there's a sound associated with that, and that's the sound. 
<laughs> yeah, when I lived in the Bay Area, I lived right by, and I can't think of the aircraft manufacturer, but they made the, uh, let's say the Apache helicopters. Uh-huh. And they have a very, very, I mean, I can't, yeah, yeah. the whole notion of stealth helicopters, I just can't <laughs> it's understand. It's a little odd, yes. <laughs> you know, these well, things, you can, immediately, <laughs> you can immediately not only identify that they're in the air, but immediately identify where in the air they are. Even when they're in their low engine noise mode, yeah, yeah. Um, but no. Well, they I've, must be stealthy enough for radars. That they're blonde. They may still make noise, but the idea is that they're low reflectivity yeah. and other. I, it, it never made any sense to me, particularly when they woke me up at the, you know eleven thirty twelve. Those stealth helicopters. Yeah, those stealth helicopters. But no, the yeah the Huey thing. But I guess more recently. Um, I watched Full Metal Jacket, and also I was in the... My wife and I have a, a bibliophile addiction, uh, quite a heavy addiction, which is supported by the Borders Company currently, um, and they send us money, which is even more ridiculous. Uh, so I was in the line, I can't remember, probably... Uh, it was before the gift-giving period, let's just put it that way. And, um, and there was a box set of accounts of Vietnam veterans for $4, a DVD box set yeah. of seven hours worth this stuff. What, of audio files of people? No, 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 video. Stuff. No, video. people talk oh, okay. face, oh. face, oh. face oh, okay. to face. Okay, all right. And I purchased it because I thought... Bucks. hell yes. Man. Yeah, exactly. And I started putting them on, and my wife, who normally doesn't have any interaction who with me. Wait, who produced this? Was it, was it just raw footage or was no, it, it part was of produced some... by a group? It was, it's, it's 2010. It was produced last year. Uh-huh. Um, it's some company that I think produces things for the military channel or these kind of things. It, it, it struck me relatively, uh, Republican-esque, relatively pro-war kind of, oh, uh, really? thing. Oh, really? Um, okay. So, yeah. Uh, but it was absolutely fascinating. And the thing was, I started watching it, and my wife was off doing her um, her festive season baking and came in and sat down and was actually quite captivated by these accounts because they were really thought-provoking. The thing that um, really you always know about wars is that there are so many smart people that are participating in them at any given time that are just there, I mean, through, in the case of Vietnam, through conscription that uh, you you forget, you know, that um, there is just this diversity of thought and perspective that exists in any time in the sense of real immediate danger. And um, the accounts were really captivating. I mean, they were... I thought that it was something that I could probably have on in the background or, you know, something while I was doing something else. But I found myself very quickly just devoting all my time to it. And also, in my wife's case, she came in to watch these accounts because they were just so engaging and also just a sense of uh, futility, terror, and camaraderie, Hmm. which I think really was... That pretty um, much sums it up, I think. And boredom. Don't forget... Yeah, no, that was the other thing. Yes, yes. Um, And... uh, so yes, I, I watched them. I will. I will watch them again. There was some Korean and some Second World War stuff which somehow got in there as well, even though it was labelled Vietnam. I think they just kind of packaged it all together. Yeah. Uh, the Korean stuff in particular was fascinating because I never knew, I never knew really the description of actually it being very much a, a, a 
you know, the Chinese versus the Americans, basically. The North Koreans were there just in... They were in between. You know, <laughs> well, they were just there, you know, to yeah. offer their land for, you know, whatever was going on. Um, but um, particularly the, the very brutal accounts of just hand-to-hand, continuous hand-to-hand fighting in the Korean conflict, which I never really... I mean, obviously, in the Second World War, th- there was a lot of that, but, uh, you know... That just shocks me, you know? I mean, when I think about that... Well, that's like, to me, like the old Roman days, you know, 10,000 people with swords on one side of the field, yeah. and then 10,000 on the other, and just wading into each other, hacking each other to pieces. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Sounds like fun, yeah. yeah. That, was the, that, was the, that was up till the American Civil War, and really the aspects yeah. of the First World War, but really in the American Civil War, where they didn't even know how powerful the guns were, they would just wade into each other, shooting yeah. at each well, other. Well, but that was why we won, is that they became uh, snipers and guerrillas. They actually waged a guerrilla war against the... Oh, that was the... Well, what's the term? The War of Independence. The Civil War was Americans oh, oh, versus... Civil Ameri- war. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Wrong war. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's no. just appalling to me. I mean, I went to Vietnam, but, uh, I mean, I made damn sure I wasn't out in the field with a gun in my hand. Yeah. You know, that... No, thank you. I wasn't about to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but if you be- it's just chicken shit, though. That's really what it gets down to. Is I just I, I could not I I refused. I would do I would not put myself in that kind of a position. Period. Mm. I mean, mm. I might for some reason, but I certainly wasn't going to do it for that. There'd have to be mm. some hell of a lot more personal reason for me to give my life uh, than that. Certainly, but I mean the accounts of. Tet in particular saw even the kind of environments that you were in being overrun. And I oh, think yeah. that was really the psychological element oh, of Oh, yeah, t- that was, no, we were scared, you know. The place I went to was known as Mortar Alley. Yeah. And that made me feel real happy when I got there. Yeah. People would look at me and laugh and go, <laughs> he's going to Mortar Alley. You know, yeah. The new guy. Yeah. <laughs> so were you mortared? Yes. Not not as bad. Apparently, the year before, the, the base I was at was the most mortared uh, facility in Vietnam. Yeah, well, that was Tet. But that it? was the year before, yeah. yeah. And, and this year, uh, it wasn't that bad, really. I mean, I think we actually took rounds in not more than ten times in the whole year. Okay. But that's, you know, un- maybe more. I don't know. But it wasn't very often, and uh, it's amazing what you can learn to accommodate, you know. So- you're laying yeah. there asleep, and all of a sudden, shit's blowing up around you. You get up before you know what you, is happening. You find yourself standing in a bunker with a bunch of guys in their underwear, <laughs> and yes. and then shit's blowing up. And in the times I was there, I always made it to the bunker. In fact, nobody I knew got hurt for the whole year there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was lucky. I got there a year late. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, I have photos now of friends in Australia that are having this, not being mortared, but having this experience with floods. I have one friend in particular who was in Toowoomba, lost his car and then his house, moved to Brisbane, and posted on Facebook yesterday a photo of him under a bridge with water on either side, again being flooded out of the place that he went to. Wow. Um, so I think... And and Brisbane obviously- is like... Uh- a major city, right? It's the third largest city. Yeah, and the it's whole a, city is underwater now. I don't know whether it's the whole city, but certainly people Large are getting. Parts of it, yeah, anyway, yeah. Know. So, and, um, and this is because of 
something we have done or just a lot of rain well, issues? There's a combination or? of factors. I mean, I think Australia has been really, and I, I can't really attribute any blame here. Australia is one of the, if there are strange paradoxes in Australia with regards to water. For example, every city in Australia has water restrictions through the, some of my, well, most of the cities. The cities I've been sure, to have water restrictions. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. But the funny thing is they then have irrigated rice paddies out in the desert that some farmers have been able to get legislation <laughs> for. So it's like yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, people at the end have to uh, conserve yeah, water so yeah. that the people who are yeah. casting the, you know, whatever can, yeah. can waste it. Capitalism. Um, Exactly. So it's one of these crazy things, and there are all there are all these decisions made in Australia, which, yeah, never. But I think in these circumstances, it's just uh, extreme weather, basically. Yeah. And uh, normally, this area would have. I mean, this isn't an unusual flood for them. I mean, it's a kind of hundred-year yeah. phenomena. The effect of humans actually building houses on yeah, on places they shouldn't have built houses. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. I well, mean, it's the same you, thing with the Mississippi River here, or where you, you live know. in California. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, you know. yeah, if you live near a river, you know, it's going to get real bad sometimes. <laughs> or if you live in an earthquake zone, or if you do right. all these things. That's of, right. That's right. So yeah, but um. No, it's, it is quite striking that, it, and the sense that when disasters happen, you, you just kind of grab whatever you've got and get wherever you need to go. Did so, I tell okay. you about my, uh, when I experienced the big one, the big earthquake? No, it's only her. Um, I, this is, I don't know, I don't remember, again, I can't tell you when, but we had a really big earthquake here. Uh, in the eight, late 80s, I guess it was, mm-hmm. or early 90s, I don't know, up in, up, well, in Big Bear, actually, right up yep. there. And I was in Big Bear at a condo with, for the weekend with some people, uh-huh. just hanging around, doing nothing in the snow. Or no, it wasn't snowing at that time of year. I'm confused. There's a couple times I was there. Well, at any time, no, it wasn't snowing this time. So this was in the spring. Anyway, there was a big earthquake, and it was the biggest. I mean, I've lived in California my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I've been through a lot of earthquakes, and it's always worth somewhere else than where I am. So, uh, but this time where I was was mind-boggling. I mean, the refrigerator fell over, all the glasses came out of the cabinets, the TV came down, the pictures were off the walls, the windows shattered. Yeah. Uh, I was thrown, literally thrown out of bed, and uh, it shook for 45 seconds, and I, it was scary as hell. Yeah. And uh, luckily, we were on the second floor too, in, in, Ooh, three, in a three-story oh, yeah, yeah. building. Yeah. Uh, but it, there were no—I I didn't see any structural flaws in that. But I mean, it was shaken severely. I'd never seen oh, yeah. anything like that. So, so then, everybody and nobody went back to sleep. Well, actually, what's interesting was we all went outside and stood around for a while and didn't know what to do. And then it, there wasn't anything to do. There was no electricity, so there was no radio or anything. So yeah. people went back to sleep. You know, and then there was another earthquake about an you know after about an I hour. Always, it, was, yeah, it was the yeah. second one, and that was the end of it. Anyway, um, what went through my mind is that, you know, if that's what we felt here, L.A. must be gone. That must have been the big one. Yeah. You know, all my friends are dead. I have no home yeah. to go to. Uh, I'm here up in Big Bear, and the world is gone. And it took us a few minutes to figure out that the car radio still worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to the car radio and realized the rest of the world was still on the air and that we happened to be at the epicenter. 
Mm. <laughs> and so I'd never been at the epicenter before. Yeah. And that yeah. was quite... And let me add just one more thing to finish mm-hmm. the story, is that uh, by after the second earthquake, obviously nobody was... It was later, too, and nobody was going back to sleep. Yeah. And everybody was sort of just milling around in the parking lot, and, and there's some grass next to where we were. And I laid down in the grass on my back. I was just sort of laying on the grass looking up at the sky. It was a beautiful day, you know, really mm-hmm. nice blue skies. And, and I started to get seasick. I didn't realize that was what it was at first, but mm-hmm. I realized laying on the ground that the ground is slowly undulating. Yes, yes. And I'd never felt that before. Yeah. But, I mean, after a couple of minutes, I mean, I was so subtle that, like I say, I wasn't really aware of it. I was just laying yeah. there, and all of a sudden I felt sort of weird in my stomach. I that's the know. amazing thing about the inner ear is that yeah. it will notice yeah, even like kind yeah. of movement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you're standing up, your head uh, is totally uh, separated Certainly. from that movement. Yeah. You know? And uh, anyway, it was just fascinating to realize that the ground, and this went on for like three hours. Yeah. The ground was just constantly in this gentle up and down undulation, mm. and that was—I'd never even heard of anything like that before. Well, it's subtly recalibrating itself, isn't well, it? Well, I don't know what. It, well, yeah, it's it's settling. It it hasn't. Uh, yeah, it's not yeah. done yet. You know. <laughs> yeah. I had the not not like not as violent, but I experienced being relatively close to an earthquake in two thousand. I think it was 2000 in North Bay. It must have been about September. And I, as you were, I was out in some cheap hotel in the middle of nowhere that just so happened to be relatively close to the earthquake. And I remember waking up, as you described, not being thrown out of bed, but seeing the building warp um, <laughs> because it was really poorly. I mean, know, it was, was this your first earthquake? This was my first earthquake, oh, yes. Oh, good, a memorable one, yes. So, and um, <laughs> the irony was that we, I back then drank alcohol, and I had gone out with a Scottish friend, and we had been at uh, one of the microbreweries, and over a four-hour period, I think we'd had six pints, <laughs> which is nothing for two people from, you know, from another part of the world. And um, they'd asked us to leave. Because they said they'd call the police if we stayed there because we had drunk too much over a four-hour period, two guys talking over six pints. Um, so I felt really angry about that because it seemed completely surreal to me. And my friend lived relatively close by but had dropped me at this hotel. And so I had all this anger associated with this nonsense because I wanted to continue <laughs> to talk to my friend and instead we'd been asked to leave. Couldn't um, you just offer to pay for it? We, no, no, we, paid, we paid. I said, you know, we'll give you a tip. We'd just like to sit here a little longer and talk. And they said no. So, and this was early. This was like oh, man. five oh. o'clock, you know, in yeah. whatever county in Northern California. And um, so and that whole experience just made me really, you know, disturbed because I didn't think of myself as some drunken lout. And certainly we'd just been chatting quite happily. And it's just because they'd left the pint glasses in front of us that, you know, had this appearance. So I went back to this hotel and basically in the middle of nowhere um, and, yeah, and kind of went to bed relatively early in the evening but was still quite fuming about this circumstance and, you know, these <laughs> prohibitionist people in there. I can't let stuff like that go either. That's just, <laughs> yeah. I can now. As a married man, I have to, but then I didn't. 
Um, so anyway, then this earthquake happened, and basically everything that had gone on prior to that yeah, seemed sorry, that trivial, really. Of course, yeah, who cares? Completely and utterly uneventful. And um, I did go back to sleep after I did, as you did. I did go outside and kind of look around. And it was a beautiful starry night, and as you describe, I felt constant rocking following. We have had very subtle earthquakes here, which I do oh, yeah. feel. Oh, there, well, no, we have earthquakes all the time. They don't yeah. report because yeah. they're very, you know, yeah, exactly. most people won't feel them at all unless they're really paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I am, I am, and we have experience, but that was an introductory, and it made me realize that, um, Sometimes you need to be shaken out of nonsense, you know. <laughs> you yeah. be, whatever you're doing, and I've, I've had that experience on multiple occasions in recent weeks as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a powerful metaphor for me that the Earth actually uh, removed me from, uh, from that nonsense. Well, Heron, I think we've, uh, we've covered a lot of topics, unless you have something else you want to... No, I think, want I'm, to I think I'm pretty much talked out. You're beat. You know, it's been uh, actually two hours. Yes, it has. It has, and Skype hasn't kicked us off once, no, which is no, quite correct. You know, well, it's threatened to a couple of times, <laughs> but but it relented. So anyway, I've, I've, this the second link that I sent you is um, Finn is um, the girlfriend's name and Mitch is Gerald de Jong's son's name. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't, I don't, I don't have. It. Oh, I see. Oh, the. So that is the uh, that's the Black Hole Sun audio. If you want to play, it is really. I I think it's. Um, I mean, I liked it enough to play it in a biota podcast. No, so this, uh, oh, this so this piece of music is what again? Tell me what it is. It's called Black Hole Sun, and it's by a band called Soundgarden. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, um, well, you can find it on YouTube as well. It was yeah. rich. Anyway, you've got the audio. But but why is this important that I hear this? Well, here's the, here's the funny thing. The way that this came up was that I was walking home from my old job, and I put into my old phone in Twitter something about humming to myself Black Hole Sun, and Gerald de Jong in the Netherlands said, oh, my son and his girlfriend have just recorded this. Here's the audio, and I said, "Oh, this is amazing! Can I put this in the Biota podcast at the end?" He actually does that because he was on that particular episode. It's called um, something like "The Long Winter" or something like that. The Biota episode. Uh, he was on that. I said, "We'll do the radio introduction for your son and his girlfriend's piece, and we'll play it at the end." And he did that. Okay, um, so that's what this file is. I'm... No, no, no. It's it's actually because I divided up. I have a low bandwidth download, and this is actually the the MP3 file itself. It's not him doing the radio intro. It's just the music, um, because I put that in the okay. low. And, the but low. Th- and this is his what two kids. His, no, it's his son and his son's girlfriend. Ah, okay. His son is playing the guitar, the girlfriend is singing, uh, and it's them doing black oh, oh, Guitar and voice. Oh, I can hardly wait. <laughs> I've heard so many bad, well, not bad, but let us say less than stellar uh, guitar players and singers. And... Um, and of course, that's irrelevant. What I think, if they're having fun doing it, then that's all that really Listen counts. Listen to it if you enjoy but, it. Play it at the end. Fail that. Play yeah, something. Well, I, I, I'm yeah. Who knows what I said? I'm just saying I'm I'm expecting the worst, but I'm certainly open to the very best. And Hurry. and I'll you know react however I do. So, well, based on that, I will say good evening to you, Heron. It's been a pleasure as always. We'll okay. talk next. Good night. Take John. care.
Indisposed In disguises No one knows Hides the face Lies a snake And the sun in my disgrace Boiling heat Summer stench Neath the black The sky looks dead Call my name Through the cream And I'll hear you scream again Black hole sun Won't you come And wash away the rain Black hole sun Won't you come Won't you come Won't you come Stuttering Cold and damp Still the one wind tired friend Times are gone for honest men Sometimes far too long for snakes In my shoes, walking sleep In my youth I pray to keep Heaven send hell away No one sings like you Black hole sun, won't you come and wash away the rain? Black hole sun, won't you come, won't you come? Black hole sun, won't you come, wash away the rain? Black hole sun, won't you come? Won't you come, black hole sun, black hole sun, won't you come, black hole sun, black hole sun, won't you come, black hole sun, black hole sun, won't you come, black hole sun, black hole sun. Come. 